You see, the knowledge of death changes everything. If I were to tell you the exact date and time of your own death, it would shatter your world completely. like a surprise party unless you're already dead on the inside. I'm your host Bree Rohde and I set out to explore when the media and creators you love peaked and here with me today is Mint Marcellus. Welcome to the show Mint! Glad to be here Bree. Very excited to talk about this stuff today. Yeah thanks so much for being here. Now you are a PhD student at the University of Toronto Cinematic Studies Institute. Can you tell me uh, just a little bit about like what your focus is there? Yeah, um, I'm really interested in how we talk about authorship and how we talk about like why we like movies in the first place, which I think we're going to talk about a bit today. But like, there's some sense in which we want to be able to talk about like directors as creative people. But you know, it's very popular to talk about the death of the author and blah blah blah. And I just think that that's gotten in the way of some interesting conversations. So that's what my project is about: is figuring out new ways to talk about those kinds of things. That's really cool. It's probably super over my head, but I do love talking about film. So I'm really happy that you agreed to be here today. Now, um, one way that I love to get to know people is when did you peak? And uh, I, I won't pretend I haven't seen your notes, but I am super interested for you to tell the story on when you peaked. Okay, so I, I debated whether this was when I peaked, but the more I thought about it, it's like this was like the best moment of my life. So um, you and I both went to Wilfrid Laurier University. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a volunteer service at Laurier called Foot Patrol. You know that I actually was a foot patroller, right? You were a foot patroller too. Okay. Uh, yeah, until 2012. And in 2012, I only drove the van. And uh, ah, that was when okay. they'd gotten rid of early van. So, uh, and anyone who knows me, and you see me on Twitter, I tweet all day, but then between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., I'm done. Like, I go to bed at very normal hours. So that. That fucking ruined me. <laughs> yeah. I was driving a van from 11 to 3. I I probably put so many lives in danger. <laughs> oh, God. So we were both... We- we were both newspaper people. We were both foot patrollers. Like that's so funny. The yeah. connections that we didn't know we had. Um, <laughs> so tell me yeah. about your peak on foot patrol. So there there was an event, and I forget what it was called, but it was a, an event where there would be foot patrollers on for like a full 24 hour period, even outside mm-hmm. the normal hours, um, and. One of those nights, I had finished my time on patrol, and of course, we would then start drinking. Um, And I I wanted to, you know, entertain the people who were still on patrol. So we were in a room in the DOB, which is like one of the main academic buildings. Um, And I don't know how it came to this, um, but I was like just obsessed with telling people about how amazingly bonkers the OC is. And so I grabbed like a whiteboard marker in this dog classroom and started drawing out all the relationships between all the different characters and just how incestuous and crazy that show got. And someone started recording me and I'm just like drunkenly ranting about the craziness of the OC and everyone's laughing. And it's like, <laughs> I've never had a better teacher moment. And like, I, I, I claim to be a TA. I try and teach well, but I don't think I'll ever pass that. Like just to someone who's never watched the OC before having to explain just how crazy that show gets. Um, There's, you know what? I, I have seen only a few episodes of the OC, but it was kind of peak high school for me when it was on. Um, I think nothing from the two thousands dates itself better than the OC. Like it's just a big neon sign that says 2005. It's true. Like the the first episode is well, well 
the first episode and anytime they go because like the show mostly takes place in orange county but they also go to where the poor kid ryan is from which is chino and whenever they go to chino whenever they go outside of like pristine perfect orange county california they adopt that like iconic kind of chrome tinged gritty film stuff that you get for like the first fast and the furious movie like it's that aesthetic and the only time that was popular was from like 2000 to 2005 and it's actually really like i say the saw films use a variation on this oh the the saw films which like kind of remind me of when i first learned to use photoshop when i was about 12 and i'm like what if desaturate yes exactly (laughs) um i don't know if you are familiar with this movie it was like it, was, it wasn't quite the big break of Evan Rachel Wood, but she wasn't huge at that point. Uh, but Nikki Reed, it was her big break. Uh, 13? Um, yes. Yeah. 13. I was trying to remember the name of the film, and 13's another that, one. That is another one that example. just, like, you know, and it starts, it's it's nice and saturated and idyllic and golden at the beginning. And, you know, oh, it's so grimy at the end. And it's and Holly Hunter's just washed out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which yes. also, a connection to Saw, when... I, I keep mixing up the title 13 and that show 13 Reasons Why when everyone was panicking with good reason about yeah. uh, the character who, um, you know, was shown dying by suicide on screen. Big no-no, but I'm also just like, you realize this is not the first time that's happened on screen between the 13 and frankly, the Saw movies. That's just self-harm city. And I'm not even oh, talking God, about yes. the Jigsaw self-harm. Ooh, it's it's bad, folks. It, <laughs> so, it really is. <laughs> so I suppose that's a great time to tell me how you were introduced to Saw and how you how you came into the Jigsaw universe. So I I I, I didn't see any of these movies in theaters. I like I'm pretty sure the first time that I saw any of them, um, I had already seen um, Repo the Genetic Opera um, because that was okay. like really popular among um, the brand of weirdo I hung out with in high school, and so I'd already seen Repo. And the the people I was hanging out with also recommended the Saw movies because uh, uh, um, Daryl and Bowsman directs two through four uh, and directed Repo. And so I think this was probably between when five and six came out or maybe a little before five. Um, I just, you know, downloaded on whatever sketchy torrenting site was available <laughs> then um, Saw's one through four and just binge watched them in a night. And... I thought I liked them at the time, and then, you know, a decade later, I go back to them and promise I'm never going to watch them again, and, well, now we're here talking about them. But I just, <laughs> I, I'm i glad I got to see those four at the time in that kind of pure state, because they are really, like, the first four movies work as a unit, and yeah. the way, and we're going to get to talking about Saw 4 in a bit, but... Um, the way the twists happen at the end of, at the end of four, especially like really worked for me. Like I really thought that was clever. And so I always, I, I will, despite, you know, going back to them and kind of hating them now, uh, I'll always have those positive memories of being, of having, you know, mind blown from the Shyamalan-esque twist, uh, yes. at the end of each of those movies. You know, I, I know that Shyamalan was not the, was by far the, not the first filmmaker to think to include a twist all the time you know it's been happening uh for for a very long time but it really felt like at a, at this point in horror twists were mandatory and you know like i always talk i, I love i love ari aster i love midsummer uh i love i love hereditary and i'm just like oh the evil people were evil the whole time 
Nice. Yes. I'm so I'm so glad you agree because they're like my favorite trend in modern horror is what I call is mommy crazy or is she haunted? Like mm-hmm. th- so the Babadook under the shadow um lights out like th- this whole train of of movies where for the first bit of the movie you're not sure if there is like a killer who's making it seem like there's a haunting going on or if she's actually haunted. And I love that all, most of these movies it's like no, this is a real haunting. This is there is supernatural stuff going on here. It's not it's not all in her head. And I love <laughs> how that trend has just been like, yeah, no, the the, the twist at the end, it's it, it's scarier if it's real. And that's yeah. oh, I love it. That's awesome. So my introduction to Saw was completely different from yours. Um, I, I would say that I've liked horror since I was a kid and probably since I was too little to like it. I know I saw The Shining for the first time at my friend's house when I was eight. Um, I, I love The Shining. I have a, everyone says it's a Simpsons tattoo. It's a Shining tattoo, really. It's, <laughs> it's Homer doing the Here's Johnny. Excellent. Uh, which that's the other thing. I got to know a lot of popular media through Simpsons parodies because I was raised on The Simpsons. Um, and uh, if it's about to become very obvious that my parents never monitored or cared about what I watched because I had older siblings and, uh, you know, I don't want to say apathetic parents. My parents love me very much, but they just had this attitude. Oh, she can handle it. So it wasn't I obviously didn't see Scream in theaters because I was seven, but I did see it when it came out on VHS. I actually recall we watched it in a hotel room, uh, my mm. sister and I. Um, and I had been prepared for what it was. So like I love the slashers and like, you know, I wasn't the most popular child in uh, middle school, but pretty much every middle school slumber party, it was it was horror time. Um, and I'll say that my tastes were getting a bit more sophisticated after I saw The Ring, the Gore, the Gore Verbinski remake, which I think is just as good as the original. But then I, you know, got curious and saw the original as well. So I was maybe 12 or 13 at the time. And I'm just like, oh, I think I like horror. Um, and I was thinking like, Everyone, everyone hates the term elevated horror, but I was like, the ring would have absolutely been called elevated horror if it came out today. <laughs> oh, 100%. I, I used to write for um, uh, uh, like a fairly small film website, but the, the guy who ran it did a whole retrospective of 2000s horror and how because because of torture porn, we've really like not we haven't respected some of those really great films. Like, mm-hmm. And I think the ring is, is a perfect example yeah. where it's like. It would have been called elevated horror if we had the term as much as we don't like the term, but like it was better than we than we gave it credit for at the time. Yeah. That um I mean the Brian Cox suicide scene is is an all timer for me, but also the horse scene was what made me afraid of horses. I'm very afraid of horses. Interesting. So, yeah. I'm also allergic to them, so um, <laughs> <laughs> but um so I don't think and I was trying to think uh I was trying to like dig back into my memory caves. I'm pretty sure Saw didn't come to my uh, hometown theater because I lived in Timmins, Ontario. We had a six screen cinema and so it couldn't always run everything that was out. And the one thing it would never run or would hesitate to run was R-rated horror because R-rated horror doesn't make money. I don't even really think I heard about it um, until it was out on DVD. But by the time it was out on DVD, that was when there was all that buzz. Um, and the folklore for me was that uh, there was this gentleman named Lee at my high school who I think he worked at a video store. And so he burned DVDs for people, like not just the not just the video rip. He burned the whole DVD with the extras for two oh, okay. bucks a piece. He was the coolest kid in school. And so the um, the very not nice guy that I was dating at the time, but he was like, 
hey, you know, my uh, Lee burned me Saw. You want to watch the Saw movie? I'm like, okay, yeah, I could, I could, I could watch Saw. And it was just me being <laughs> kind of low-key horrified at the gratuitousness of the violence. I, I was 15 at the time. Uh, but then thinking, well, this is better than making out with this strange guy that I don't really like. <laughs> um oh, wow yeah uh saw two i didn't see in theaters but i almost did and um listeners of the we hate movies podcast will know because i actually had the story read on the air but um it's a fun fun story um i was on a school trip to toronto with my world's religions class we were visiting different places of worship um and our teacher did this great stuff with us he um you know wanted to make us northern kids more cultured so he took us you know to kensington market took us to try different types of food and then he's like okay i'm gonna reward you guys I got you tickets to go see Satsu at the Scotiabank Theater, you know, undoing all the culture. Um, it was really cool of him, especially because he didn't see it with us and he went and saw Passchendaele alone. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only person who saw Passchendaele, I'm pretty it's true. sure. Um, oh, wow. But I left the screening because I had a date the next week and we were going to go see Satsu. So I was like, oh, this is the kind of thing that, you know, will probably be better if I don't have it spoiled for me. So I just like, went and farted around King West for a couple hours, like hanging out on the block where I ended up like working as an adult. Like that's where my, my office is now. Um, but then when I returned to class or to my class, all the guys were like so into the movie and they were just like preaching the gospel of Jigsaw and talking about like, well, you know, this person actually deserved to die. And oh, it became no. almost a religion with them. Um, torture porn then became weirdly popular in my high school. And like, there was the kid who secured a DVD rip of Wolf Creek. I don't know if you've seen Wolf Creek. No, I haven't. I I watched part of it because I was like, okay, I've gotta I've gotta know what it's like. And it's it's too brutal for me. Um it's uh yeah. So um I, after that I saw three, four, and five in theaters. The fifth I also saw um as kind of a class excursion, it was um, with my floor, um, with Bricker oh. 2. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep. Um, our, our Dawn took us to see it. So, like, no authorities in my life cared about uh, cared about us being well-adjusted people. Um, it, was, so uh, it was a bad one to make it, like, my last one, because 5... Uh, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I liked Saw 5, right? It was a snoozer. A snoozer. <sighs> this is... So, okay. This this is the thing, like, from a writing standpoint, I think Saws 5 and 6 are really, really good. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, and Hoffman is the least charismatic man I have ever seen in oh my, my life. Oh my god, I'm sure Costas <laughs> Mandalore has, like, a really sweet life and stuff, but, um, now, <laughs> I, uh, I did, in preparation for this, just listen to the New Flesh podcast, which has been, for the last six weeks, doing a retrospective on all the Saw movies. They must be driving oh. themselves nuts. They're doing amazing work, um, but... The really mean nicknames they have for Costas Mandalore. Um, I will also give a shout out to another uh, horror podcast I like called Kill by Kill, who they insistently refer to him as Detective Honey Baked Ham because he looks, <laughs> he looks like a honey baked ham. Um, I, I, yeah. I genuinely think that they like they were making Saw 2. And I don't know that like they'd already decided that Hoffman was going to be the guy Hoffman, following because as far as i know only appears in saw three not he's there not. very early on in saw two 
Oh, he, he is. Yeah, like he, wow. he's he's just very briefly there, but he's like an extra in one of the scenes that has um, it's like a medic or something. Yeah, yeah, like because uh, Eric Matthews and uh, Allison and um, the other the Rig guy and Rick, like they're they're yeah. the stars, but like Hoffman is there in the background, and so as they just you know progressively get rid of these characters they're left with this one guy with the charisma of a wet blanket oh yeah like i think some of the some of the mean things they said about him on the new flesh included if john travolta and uh wait who is in face off again john travolta and nick cage uh got switched like somehow the switch only half worked in face off (laughs) oh Um, that's so mean Brendan Fraser, if the only movie he made in 2004 was Dudley Do Right, was another one. These people are (laughs) cutting. Just cutting. Um, So yeah, the the new Flash podcast. Listen to them. They're mean and cool. Um, You know, we're we're already just diving down the rabbit hole of our feelings, which I like it because like we're so filled filled with feelings. But um, (laughs) I would love to uh, just share a little bit about the history of Saw for our for our I was going to say viewers, but you don't view a podcast. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Saw, the original was kind of the ultimate success story in terms of so cheap to make and made so much damn money. It had a million dollar budget. It was shot in one week. Uh, It did have, you know, its big stars, Danny Glover, Monica Potter, Carrie Elways, um, all of them really phoning it in. I mean, no no one is as bad as Lee Winnell, but at least Lee Winnell is like, oh, okay, you're, you're not an actor. You just wrote it. So like, <laughs> um, and uh, everything was shot on one location. Um, who would have thought that wasn't real driving footage? Um, and, and like, there was such a, regardless of your feelings about the movie, there's something so sweet about the fact that like James Wan made the Billy Puppet himself. Lee Winnell, uh, like laid down in the grimy bathtub himself so it premiered at sundance huge buzz uh about it already going into sundance and they were saying that uh juan and Winnell were so nervous they couldn't even watch the first screening at sundance they were just pacing wow. it outside oh yeah like these guys are pretty proud of that movie and so like i have a hard time faulting it too much as artistically bankrupt as even i think the first one can be a little bit um the sequel was greenlit, I think, the week it went to theaters. Um, so if you, like 16-year-old me, sat down in theaters for Saw 2 and thought, like, oh, this is a totally different movie, it's because it is. And the movie was pitched as an ensemble horror called The Desperate, uh, which had just gotten a pickup from a small German production studio, but then David A. Armstrong, the cinematographer, basically swooped in and uh, used Aaron Lynn Bousman's script as the starting point for Saw 2 because Juan and Winnell were busy on Dead Silence. Uh, as you noted, James Wan and Lee Winnell really went on to make much better movies, including better horror movies than, than Saw. And uh, whatever they were regarded as in 2004, they are not that anymore. Yeah, it's really, I, it's the thing that I think about most when I think about the Saw movies. Um, like, I, I just came from a, a, an event with, at my school where um, one of the professors, I mentioned I was going to be doing this podcast, and he brought up that he'd never seen any Saw films, but he really liked those Insidious movies. And I'm like, that's the same person! Yeah. It's like, James Wan has become, like, a, a well-regarded director. Lee Whannell mm-hmm. had The Invisible Man last year, which is an unbelievable horror film. I j- just watched it last week and it's stunning. And even, even Darren Lynn Bousman has stayed like is kind of an indie horror darling. Like he still has yeah. movies premiering at midnight madness. He's still like very much on the, 
the the indie horror scene as a pretty respected yeah. figure. I mean, I was, uh, I'll admit that when I first like invited you to do this, I thought I'm going to be so much meaner to Darren Lynn Bellsman than Mint is. And yet, um, when I watched Saw 5, I was like, no, the magic was lost after Bowsman left. Um, you know, as much as I, I have a lot of really strong negative feelings about Saw 4, but uh, I will add that James Wan made my favorite Fast and the Furious movie. Um, and uh, I think he's amazing at action. Aquaman was stunning. Um, yeah. So yeah, g- good for James Wan. He he did the thing, uh, and and I'm proud of him. He did. It's what he deserves. But uh, and also, I will point out that Lee Wanell has a bit part in um, the worse than this movie, The Bye Bye Man. Um, really? Have you seen, have you seen I have not the Bye seen Bye the Bye Man? Bi- I have not. It's so dull. It's so dull. Um, it is, however, it does fit the criteria for oh the the twist was not a twist and it features Faye Dunaway um kind of spontaneously self-immolating but uh <laughs> like just sorry Faye, Faye when did this movie come out like two years I, ago I didn't realize Faye Dunaway was still like well like I know she had the the bit the Oscars <laughs> slip moment but yeah. for some reason she like I only think of her in her 70s persona and so the idea of her being in a contemporary horror film is very weird to me i will say that lee winnell's part is probably one of the funniest parts because it's just him at the beginning and then again in the middle like going crazy shooting a bunch of people and in the middle he kills himself by drinking bleach yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> so yeah as we mentioned bousman picked it up uh after uh after saw two um the subsequent sequels were introduced to basically give us more and more Tobin Bell, even though Jigsaw does die in Saw 3. Um, you know, whenever Tobin Bell's not around, everyone should be asking, where is Tobin? Uh, so uh, starting in Saw 4 is when we get a lot of stealth prequels, subsequent timelines, flashback after flashback after flashback, uh, just to kind of give us uh, more backstory and explain how he's able to construct massive murderous Sim City setups. Um, and keep Tobin Bell there because he is kind of the anchor of the franchise. They made crazy, crazy money. Saw 6 was the first one to make uh, less money than expected. It did still uh, win the box office that weekend, but it dropped off almost immediately. And so uh, originally they had planned for eight in the, uh, in the whole setup. They kind of combined the next, uh, the next two into one with, not even Saw 7, it's called Saw 3D or Saw the Final Chapter. Um, and then a few years later, they came out with an eighth one that could just as easily not exist, frankly. Um, and, yep, that's uh, about right. Yeah. And now, uh, now the awkward part is this is almost undoubtedly going to get released after Spiral comes out. I am so excited for Spiral. It looks so good. Me too. I, <laughs> I, I, I hadn't watched the trip. I wanted to wait to watch the trailer until after I'd finished my rewatch. And mm-hmm. as much as there are things about this series that drive me crazy, I really want to see Chris Rock in this. Like I want to see oh, yeah. what he's doing with this I franchise. Cause it's fascinating. I love Chris Rock so much. I like, I, I think he's great in serious roles. Um, and as much as I uh, get on Saw 1 for aping 7 a lot, um, this looks like it's aping 7 in a good way. So yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'm super excited. I really have no idea. Like, there has to be a connection to someone. Like, when was the last time you saw your father? And I'm just like, Danny Glover. 
<laughs> it's got to be. Know. It's yeah. got to be. No question. Yeah, I really like what they're doing with the new Jigsaw voice too. So, um, I so I have kind of these like um, very loose notes, and uh, you know, I'll say let's just kind of go Malay style. Um, I think it's really easy to hate on Saw, um, and even the original, like. Uh, based on what it became and also what happened to the horror landscape after this. And I kind of had to keep reminding myself as I was watching it that like this was considered extremely innovative at the time. Like uh, in in 2004, like the teen slashers had died off again. Um, you know, we had the aforementioned Ring and uh, The Grudge. And so like the J-horror remakes, I think the Amityville uh, remake had been... Uh, right before or right after that the house of wax remake which is terrible was right after that um yeah. so yeah saw was really innovative and i know even juan and Winnell have kind of issues with the fact that they're credited as like the the godfathers of the mainstreaming of torture porn because they don't really i i don't think they're too fond of it as a whole genre yeah definitely yeah it because it, like Torture porn really was like, I, I do think there's um, probably some very interesting studies into like even why we watch it, why we get entertainment out of it, but it just really crept its way into a lot of even action movies like Taken and Law Abiding Citizen. Yeah, the torture porn label is is interesting. Like the main approach that I've seen in like film scholarship on this is that like torture porn is conservative. It's deeply, deeply mm-hmm. conservative, and I think there there is a lot to that and that so much of this trend comes after the war in Iraq is already in full swing shortly before we learn about Abu, uh, Abu Ghraib um, and the like way of dealing with a, a world that no longer makes sense is to punish people who aren't living up to their potential. Like it still doesn't quite make a lot of sense. And it, when you go back to what, uh, like what, um, what the first film is really dealing with, like it, it doesn't go whole hog into um, like just punishing um, people. I mean, no one gets punished for smoking in that film to give an example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is a weird one and uh, I, I don't have this in my notes, but I was thinking about this today because I was on my lunch break playing chess. Like I play, I play chess to relax a lot. And like, I, I'm, I am very, very passionate about chess uh, I would consider myself like an intermediate level player. And I really, really hate how often people, in my opinion, misuse metaphors about chess. Um, and I find it gets done a lot with Saw. And it even, to me, it shows that people misunderstand conflict when they will say that, oh, like Jigsaw is playing chess. Well, no, it partic- even in the first one, Jigsaw flipped the board over. Chess is about the idea of shoring up your defenses planning, you know, multifaceted attacks, um, you know, retaliation, premeditation, um, which they do kind of try to act like Jigsaw's doing. Like, oh, I can I can just literally anticipate everything a human does. But um, I would say that chess isn't setting people up to fail. Chess is about showing your victory and, you know, finding vulnerabilities. Like, even, you know, the, I think it's the very first quote-unquote saw trap we see besides uh, Adam and Dr. Gordon is the, the fella in the razor wire trap. And, oh, yeah. you, 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 gotta, you just have to cut yourself a little bit more. You, you have depression. 
you shouldn't get you shouldn't go to therapy. You should uh, you should go to a razor wire room or get poisoned to death. That's <laughs> you're not playing chess there, Jigsaw. That's well, it, like that's body mutilation. And this is like um oh I'm trying to uh, there's a YouTube channel I think it's called Dead Meat that um, has like kill a series called Kill Count where they go through all of the kills in various horror franchises. Great series of videos on Saw if you don't want to actually watch the films but want to know what happened. Um, but it was when watching his videos just to, like, get my stats in order, um, he he picks out two quotes that, like, could totally get lost in the mix as you're just blasting your way through the series. Um, but one is from Saw 4 and one's from Saw 2. Um, in Saw 4, one is where John Kramer, Jigsaw, is talking to his wife, Jill, um, about – because she works in a methadone clinic – and he says, like, you can't help them, they have to help themselves. And that's very much the theme of those first four movies. Like, it's not um it's not what the later films will end up kind of becoming, which I think is really interesting. But Saw Two line, um, that I think really shows the conflict between the two ways that Saw the Saw franchise deals with this is those who do not appreciate life don't deserve life. Which in the in the first four like applies to the first four films in one sense, where it's like if you don't appreciate your own life, you don't deserve it. But then something weird happens in Saw Five, where it's when you don't appreciate the lives of others, you don't deserve life yourself. Which is how the series turns political is by taking that idea from Saw Two and just kind of flipping it, uh, flipping its context. I think it, that was it was such a great choice, and it's a weird thing with Saw 5 is I kind of feel like Tyra Banks, like, we were rooting for you, Saw 5. We were all rooting for you because it was the first example of the series kind of going after white-collar victims um, mm-hmm. and actually tackling corruption. Um, y- you know, it's... It, like I said, the Saws 5 through 7 are uh, saw, Jigsaw taking down problematic industries, if you count the uh, self-help guru industry in uh, in number 7. But man, that whole, like, those who don't appreciate their life don't deserve life, and like, oh, these people need to help themselves. I, I'm i not going to lie, I hear Rob Ford when I hear that, the way he used to say, like, the best social program is a job, and shit like that. Um, yeah. And then a lot of it, and... I feel like you're the only person who won't tell me I'm exaggerating when I say this, but it's like borderline eugenics. Oh, 100%. It is like, there, there is totally a eugenicist thing going on here where it's like, because if you like, if you make it through the test, that's supposed to show some like Nietzschean will at your, at your core. That means that you can procreate and and continue to bring in more life. And like the obsession that some of the, especially the early films have with like putting children in danger where like, if the parents fail their test, the kid will die. Like that. I think it happens in one. It definitely happens in two. Um, and it happens in three. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't really happen in four, but like those first three, it's like a key feature that the kid will die if the parent fails the test. And it's like, what are you doing? But the, then, of course, and it is in number four that we learn that, uh, you know, a child is a part of John Kramer's backstory. And, uh, you know, which, like, can we talk about, like, Betsy Russell, that that has to be a second wife situation, right? Like, I mean, I, I think Tobin Bell has kind of always looked 60, but... Uh, good for him he pulls <laughs> uh. <laughs> so th- this is I-, I hate to bring up the the eighth film in the franchise jigsaw um for this 
But like the 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 retcon that Jigsaw does is by having um is announcing this uh like previously unknown nephew that mm-hmm. Jigsaw had. Um and so like he did have a life before all of this yeah. be- before Saw 1. And so yeah, I think the second wife theory, I mean he was like a fancy architect. It, yeah. It, that tracks. Or a civil engineer, which like that's supposed to somehow posit that he would be able to afford just everything cuz like that's I I made a weird choice, and one of the things, like I mentioned, Saws, the Saw movies are kind of my comfort movies for a weird reason, because of the very minimal brain power they require. I actually watched them at almost complete willy-nilly out of order. Turns out, it doesn't make that much of a difference. Um, you know, that there's so many damn weird parallel timelines and retcons and stuff that, and I'm pretty sure three through three through five definitely are all taking place either at the same time or within a few weeks from each other. So, which is really, you know, it's a good thing. Tobin Bell has always and will always look 60 because I'm like, you know, he's the only actor who really comes back besides Betsy Russell. At a certain point, people start looking older, you know? Um, But um, yeah, like, I was kind of thinking, like, how many apprentices are we at now? How many levels deep are we at? And uh, when, when you have in, in, I think it's Saw 4, maybe even Saw 6, I, I see that there's so <laughs> many flashbacks, I can't remember. But when Jigsaw has Amanda and he shows he shows his wife, uh, Amanda, Shawnee Smith, and says, like, she's clean now. Like, I fixed her. And, you know, it's it's my program that works. And I'm just like, you know, you're kind of running an MLM jigsaw you're running an mlm for murder because oh okay she doesn't use drugs anymore she's also a murderer and frankly she's not that good at it either absolutely like by my count there are four there are four apprentices eventually um if you count do you count dr gordon as an apprentice yes so actually i just realized do do you my question would be do you count jill as an apprentice because of like six uh, I would say I don't count her as an apprentice because she's an apprentice after he dies. Yeah, she, okay. But um, I would count Logan, though, the kind of probably most moral, quote unquote, apprentice. So you've got Amanda, Hoffman, uh, Gordon, and Logan. So yeah, he's got four apprentices. Holy shit. Yeah. And we, we always assume that I, from the timeline of the first seven movies, Hoffman is an apprentice before Amanda because he helped because Hoffman helps Jigsaw set up the reverse bear trap. But then Logan was actually the first apprentice because I mean, okay, so we're, we're going full spoilers here if we haven't already, but like half of, half of the eighth film takes place before the first film. Like that, that's the twist of the eighth film, which is one of the silliest things (laughs) this franchise ever did. Which I was noticing one thing, though, in the um, first trap of the murder house. Because, like, you know, you, you've got your two aspects. You've usually, or usually there's three elements to the Saw film. There's the police stuff, the murder house, and then straight up Jigsaw flashbacks. Yeah. The first two, jury's, jury's almost always out on when those are taking place, but you can always, you're probably always safe to assume yourself, or to arm yourself with the assumption that these aren't happening at the same time. Um, but with that murder house, uh, if you look at the first trap with the bucket heads, 
And, uh, you know, Logan, who, spoiler alert, does survive uh, and turns out to be The Apprentice, I would say the one indication that this did take place in 2004 is the fact that he is wearing a long sleeve t-shirt under a short sleeve (laughs) t-shirt. I hadn't even thought of that, but that's brilliant. You know, I was, because I remember actually someone, um, when those promo uh, shots were released, I saw comments from people saying, I bet you that is um, Eric Matthews' kid. And uh, which I, I actually thought it was as well, because like, oh, that's how he dressed. And I'm like, what? and I was thinking to myself, man, nothing to put you in a time warp quite like either the OC or long sleeve T-shirt under a short sleeve T-shirt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh, which wow. I was always I was always disappointed that Eric Matthews kid never came back. Like, guy's just some not that busy working Canadian actor. Like, he couldn't stop by. But then again. It's been 10 years and in, in our universe and like a year in the Jigsaw universe. So, yeah, the, the time, the timeline doesn't make timeline doesn't make a lick of sense for, I, I think I read somewhere that like the, the creators think that the first six movies take place, like the movies where Jigsaw is alive. So technically one through four take place within like a two year span. Cause we know that there is a six month gap between two and three slash four. Um, because that's how long Eric Matthews has been missing. And we know that there is some kind of gap between one and two. We don't know how long. Um, and so like if those first four movies take place in a two year span and then five is just a like week and a half after four and six is the week and a half after five, like all of this takes place. So in such a scrunch timeline, it's like, how did they, I, I hate going to this, going in this direction the how did he ever have the time to put all of this together but it is kind of wild like between the means the time like i mean okay you had four friends i have four friends you know what we can't do build a barn trap you know um yeah and even just like okay being a civil engineer who maybe like was known for a few big projects like you know my dad's an engineer, not a civil engineer. If he ever listens to this, he would get so mad if I compared him to a civil engineer. But um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you know, we still we still bought President's Choice brand cola growing up, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's... Um, now, I, I don't want to forget, because you did mention the politics of it, and so I got to ask, Jigsaw, politically, you know, I, I've got... Uh, he hates cops, so good for you, Jigsaw. Um, he, um, he hates the health insurance industry. Good for you, Jigsaw. He is also, however, a landlord. And, uh, That's true. He is a landlord. He doesn't seem to enjoy when people get out of prison. He doesn't seem to think that, uh, compassionate approaches to substance use disorders work. So, um, jury's out on Jigsaw, but I'm going to guess he's some sort of weird libertarian. You see, I just, I can't unite the, or, okay, so... There's two ways to approach this. Either like you think that like Jigsaw kind of evolved in his in his in his morality as he got closer to death, um, or um, you just can't unite the two because like I went through uh, and took notes on every every test victim because <laughs> um, I just wanted to see and like in the first few movies it's like being a peeping tom, being emotionally cold to your wife and cheating, drug addict attempted suicide inferiority complex that's on the on, on the saw wikia zep his the reason he is punished is because he has an inferiority complex that's um 
and then in Saw 2, it's all like drug addict, um, drug dealer, so on and so forth. There are also certain things with Saw, with Saw 2, what really bothers me about those victims, though, is that, like, it's a good thing that this series is so entrenched in wikis and, uh, like, fan message boards and stuff, because you wouldn't know any of these things. Like, the character Addison, who actually Loki has one of my favorite Saw traps of all time, she is yeah. the one who gets her hand stuck in the razor box, it's... There's a weird, simple, I hate to use this word, but elegance to it. And it gave, that gave me nightmares. Um, but oh, she's definitely. supposed to be, she's supposed to be a sex worker. We do not know this. There's the implication from Xavier's line that she's promiscuous, but like she's supposed to be a sex worker. And apparently her backstory is even that, you know, she slept with Eric Matthews and then he framed her and stuff, but we don't know any of this. Uh, so it's unfortunate because I think the group dynamic in Saw 2 was really good yeah it, it yeah. was saw two saw two has the best traps like i'll just say it like it, yeah. i um will the the question of when saw peaked i think you have to separate out traps twists and just movies as a whole and on traps saw two like between the furnace the razor box and the needle pit don't I, you think right now that diving into a pit of needles hits differently oh my god <laughs> That scared the like I had to I had to pause it and go take a walk after watching Saw Two this week because it's so when we're all focused on when are you going to get your jab it oh that hits different. I this is a weird thing and this is definitely a brag but I'll also preface it by saying that I'm afraid of almost everything like, which is weird that I like horror movies like I'm super afraid of snakes I'm super afraid of heights I really don't like flying um, I won't shave below my ankle bone because I'm terrified of anything hitting my Achilles. I've never had an issue with needles. And like that scene, I was just like, oh, wow. Bet you that was sharp. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I feel like I should get the vaccine before all of my friends simply because I'm chill with needles. It's a good I, argument. I have, I have 12 tattoos. Like, I don't know. I've, I've always been okay with them. Um, that that said, um, when I get blood taken, I do tend to pass out because apparently I'm afraid of blood. But um, oh, okay, yeah. But uh, no, that I I think a lot of people do regard that as the most iconic trap and like such a tense thing. And um, I feel that I will say that when I watch that, I feel really bad for people with needle phobias, which is a lot of normal people. Oh yeah, it's because the other thing that really makes that scene work is that. Xavier throws Amanda into it like because that trap was meant for him and he's like I'm not getting in there and throws her in and so there's the added layer of of shock to it that say you you fast forward to Saw 5 where um, each test could be done better if all five people are alive if they're working together and they don't and so two people have to draw five liters of blood from their limbs to get past the final door um there's a dread there, but there's no shock. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's not the same kind of effect as you have been thrown into a needle pit. Um, that really makes that scene just scare the crap out of you. It's, oh yeah. Yeah. Which that totally, and I'm sure you've thought a lot about this, but, um, it reminds me of a thing that, um, I've seen written many places with horror. Um, the visceral reactions we have to stuff like that is frankly proof that you're an empathetic person. Um, and, uh, that is one, and I think that's why, from 
for me, why everything started to kind of go downhill after Saw 4 was because the traps were so over the top and so like, again, you know, you couldn't create these in The Sims. These are so complex. Um, you, you don't have as much empathy, I find, because it's like, I... I see razor wire all the time. I walk I walk down Pape, you see razor wire. Um, <laughs> it's true. Right, right. You also used to live in the same neighborhood. That Jeez. we did. Yeah, our lives just cross over. Um, but, uh, or, um, you know, I've, I've never been smeared in a flammable substance, but I've been in a situation where like, oh, I shouldn't have the candle that close to that or whatever. And like, oh, I could have gone up into flames there. Um, which I'm really revealing that I'm a terrifying person to live with. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I've I've walked down alleys where I'm like, oh, I definitely just stepped on a needle. Good thing I'm wearing shoes. So there's such an element of not even relatability, but you can totally empathize with any of these any of these situations. Um, I don't know if I can empathize having to hook myself into a device and scoop my eyes out. So I think this bleeds into the politics a little bit because you're not like Jigsaw doesn't really want these, or at least we would presume that he doesn't want the bad capitalists to succeed um, in, in five, six and seven. Um, But also just, no, you're right. The, the, like, it doesn't hit the same when you've got a timer, when nail bombs are going to go off as you do in five. Um, Like that's not viscerally scary in the same way that, that the razor boxes and like the razor boxes is one that I think we're people keep coming back to because you're right. It's elegant. There's an elegance and a simplicity to it. And, and also it's one of the few deaths that is just implied because yeah. it's like, yeah, there's, there's no fucking way she's getting out of this. Um, so just, she's a goner, but we don't have to see this by the way. Um, it, it's actually like if it, if that were two films later, they would have been a lot more disgusting. Uh, so I, I mean, even I was thinking, I, I totally missed this when I saw it, but in Saw 6, when, uh, Jill puts the reverse bear trap on Hoffman and he smashes and fucking like, so I didn't realize that he degloved himself, which degloving, uh, I don't know if you've ever climbed before. Um, no. there's many shades to me. I'm a chess player. I'm a dancer. I'm a rock climber. And I was told when I got married, oh, by the way, don't wear your wedding ring when you climb. Because your hands might swell or you might get stuck on, um, it might get stuck on a hold and it is possible to take off skin because it'll pull that off. And that's what Hoffman does to his hand when he basically pulls it through the restraints. He is lifting skin off. And that was one of the only things in those later sequels that got to me because I had been explained in great detail how that could happen to one of my fingers in climbing. Oh wow, that's yeah. <laughs> that made, that changes how I think about that scene. Wow. Oh yeah, I I I didn't have to turn away from a lot in Saw Six, uh, which Saw Six is. Well, I mean, I'll spoiler alert. Uh, I'll say where where my feeling is about the peak of Saw. This is the first time I've done one of these episodes where I actually think there's multiple peaks. I think it peaks really high in number three, then takes a sharp downturn, and then comes back almost to the same level of quality in Saw Six. The the caveat being with both of these, you really take a downturn after the peak. Um, so yeah, Saw 6, I enjoyed so much, but I barely had to look away from that one. But that part, the very last part, I'm just like, oh man, I would actually rather see this reverse bear trap just work on him. 
Oh god, yeah, like that that's one of the the annoying things about about 6 and 7 is that mm-hmm. we don't get to see it's not Hoffman who dies by reverse bear trap, it's Jill. Yeah. And that yeah. just feels wrong. That doesn't that doesn't feel yeah. right. I mean, um, Jill's not a great person, but she's also by saw standards since everyone in those movies is kind of terrible, she's probably the closest thing they have to a good person aside from the children. Or, or the doctor, who's, <laughs> it's true. whose head got exploded. Oh, God. Oh, Saw 7 woman. is so, like, there's just, uh, the, the the sheer number of deaths. I, I had this written yeah. down somewhere. I love that you've got stats. The kill count, in Saw 1, six people die. Seven if you count Adam. But we don't, we see Adam's death in Saw 3, so it, we can count it later. Saw 2, nine people die. Saw three, nine. Saw four, ten. Saw five, only six. Saw five has the most people live beyond the first one. Saw six, thirteen deaths. Saw seven, twenty-six. Jesus Christ. Twenty-seven if you count Hoffman, if, if you think he's... Because that's another ambiguous one where we're not sure. Um, and then Jigsaw's back down to sixteen. But, like, these movies get significantly more lethal. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um and also, you know, you talk about the fan theory of Hoffman being alive. I I don't know if I respect it more or respect it less how much this franchise really um took its cues off of what people were saying on message boards and stuff and um like it was very fan servicey. I don't mind when franchises get fan servicey. I just think there should be a little more fun and, and I do think that at its worst point there wasn't there wasn't actually that much sense of joy in them. Like, oh, of course, in a horror movie about people getting brutally murdered, there's no joy. But like, you you know what I mean. Um, the, the closest I think you would come in Saw 7 is the opening trap, which is so distracting to watch. If you are from Toronto, it is so distracting to watch that because it's like, this isn't a store. There, Those are elevators. This is yeah. Metro Hall. Like, again, I I worked across the street from there for six years. And I, I, I'm i just like, no one actually thinks this is a hardware store, right? And they didn't, like, I don't know. This must be, people from Vancouver must live like this all the time. And they must oh, be so God, used yes. to it. But because Toronto is, like, never in films. It's like when I was watching the movie Room, another movie that really hits differently in lockdown. Uh, and I'm just like, Toronto things! Toronto things! And then you can't stop thinking about Toronto. But, like, that first that first trap, which is so, like, that trap was misogyny incarnate. <laughs> um, you know, she's, she's this horrible, horrible slut who is actively cheering for both of her boyfriends to kill each other. Yeah. Uh, and she's got, like, they've outfitted her so that her boobs are hanging out. And it's just, I'm like, did she wake up just like that? Did did Hoffman and the boys dress her like that? Like, is this just her hanging out clothes? And it just, it felt so objectifying. But at least you can say this, like, it, it, this is almost winking. It knows how ridiculous it is. But then after that, Saw, Saw 7, I think, is an extremely boring bland movie that has no one to root for besides the poor wife who gets cooked that's like bobby deegan is the worst character in all of saw like i so i i'll i'll now reveal my my picks for peaks because like saw 2 is where the traps peaked for me this is controversial but i think the twist at the end of saw 4 makes it a peak for me. Like the, the twist that Saw 4 is occurring synchronously with Saw 3 
blew my mind as a teenager. And I still really love that twist. I think it's it's something I've never seen in any other franchise. And I think it's a really smart way to deal with the, wait, the serial killer is dead. How is this movie happening? Problem. That all of the slasher films in all of the 80s slashers went through that problem and never knew how to deal with it. And none of them dealt with it well. But I think this is one place where Saw does stand out. Um, and then Saw 6 is the best all-around movie. Um, yeah. For, for a variety of reasons. But mm-hmm. Saw, uh, like, the reason I can't get behind you with you on Saw 3 is, like, what, what it, um, Jeff Denlin is an absolute mm-hmm. wet blanket. Like, he's oh not. Oh, God, he sucks so much. He's so, like, if, if they had gotten someone actually charismatic, someone that I would believe that Lynn, the doctor, would be, like, married to, I think Saw 3 works. I'll say this. I believe she's cheating on him. Yes. Like, that, that's, that's the only way that it makes sense. I forgot that element until I rewatched it. Yeah. Or no, that, that she was, that she was having an affair. That was what I had forgotten because there was that line, but what do you want from me? A divorce. Very funny. (laughs) Very funny. Um, But yeah, Saw 3, like, it's just that that, that character drives me up the wall. Also my, my least favorite trap because it grosses me out so much that I can't watch it is the pig vat. Pigs. Yeah. It's, Everyone really talks about the pig stuff. Uh, being a person who does not eat animals, uh, it's uh, I, I I couldn't help but realize just like I'm like this these are a vegan's worst nightmare. All these movies, but especially that. Like I I don't know if because uh, like you got the pathology behind the Billy puppet. I don't know if we ever really find out about the pig, except that there there is that weird throwaway line from Jill where she's like, "Are you familiar with the Chinese zodiac?" And I think oh yeah. So I still think as much as, yeah, Jeff, Jeff sucks, but I found Saw 3 fun because it was easy to unite in hating Jeff and like no one wanted him to succeed. Um, But I also thought that Lynn was really nice to root for. So you had the, you had a very sympathetic protagonist and then you had a very unsympathetic protagonist. So you're kind of checking off your horror boxes there, Um, which I appreciate. I also think the traps were friggin' awesome. Um, and, uh, the, the other thing where I feel like one, two, and three is a really nice complete trilogy to me is number one is mainly just focused on the two guys and everything else is pieced together through flashbacks and sugar packets. Number two, it's like, okay, what if we took that same idea and made it into a group dynamic? Number three is someone deciding whether or not someone else lives or dies. And so you have three very different dynamics, and we'd always end up seeing throughout the rest of the series mixes of those. Uh, so it was kind of like Saw in three different situations. Um, my problem with Four is I think Four got really, really gratuitous. Um, and also, like, you know, you know me, I'm very ACAB, but uh, if the, the only good cop might very well be Detective Rig. Detective Owen Rigg. And uh, the fact that, like, the impetus for his uh, journey even is so lazy. Just, like, basically, you care too much. And, like, okay, you you beat someone up. He was a child abuser. Like, this is one of the few times where I'm like, okay, you know, maybe maybe that cop uh, was fine giving that beating to the child abuser. Um, And just, like, we're supposed to believe that because he stepped over police lines and, like, went into a room before being, before getting the clear that this is indication of some sort of major major character flaw so it it felt like the the premise was just too lazily set up it felt like maybe the sequel was ordered and they just kind of threw something together and decided hey you know what lyric bent you're the star now um 
I didn't think the traps were very good. Also, I found the movie just artistically very dark. Like I couldn't see what the hell was going on at all. Um, the the scalp trap didn't freak me out because I couldn't see what the hell was going on. Mm. Um, yeah, they, I don't think there were really any great traps. Um, I will say that the traps were some of the most visceral. The, uh, the knives on the face. That one, like, my face hurt for days after that. Definitely. Um, yeah, but then also just, it got really torture porny in terms of, like, the uh, the no-tell motel owner guy who was also a rapist. I, when they have him, you know, in his in his trap and he is forced to watch a video of himself raping a woman, I'm just kind of like, how much of this do we need to see? You know, I like, I know you say show, don't tell, but do I have to see him rape? If you... Actually, John Kramer, if you tell me that he raped people, I will believe you. It feels like Saw 4, after the first movie, is the one that's most invested in a return to seven um, mm-hmm. in style. Because, like, the, the, the no-tell-motel guy, like, that feels like it's trying to be more edgy than the razor blade dildo from 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 hey, maybe fucker yeah like that it, it feels like it's it, it's very i'm being edgy for the sake of being edgy I, I will not deny that um the things that i like about four um one i do i do actually like the scalp trap i think that's like i just kind of because part of it is i used to have long hair um and so the feeling of like when you're tying your hair in a bun and um you can feel your hair pulling back like there's something visceral about that that worked for me. So that's like, that's why I like that one. Um, the no tell motel, I, I can, you know, take or leave. Um, but I think it comes down to the, um, the, uh, Rex and Morgan, um, the, the parents of the abused child, uh, trap where in one sense, it is the, it is one of the most morally objectionable in the series because it is putting Morgan. It's in, victim blaming. It's victim blaming. Yeah. At the same time, the creativity of like poking what are effectively just large metal javelins through essential blood flow areas on the abusive husband and totally like areas where like you'll scar over, it'll hurt, but like you're not going to die if you pull them out from Morgan's side and giving her the ability to, to kill him. Like something about that always worked for me. Um, because it's like, it doesn't seem like a situation where Morgan would die in in any circumstance other than maybe her husband, like, pulling the things out first and, try, and killing her afterwards. But, like, Jigsaw really does seem to be trying to give her the opportunity to just make him bleed out in a rather gruesome way. And something about that always worked for me. Um, understanding that it's, like, the victim-blaming part is totally there and is why I'm glad that the, the series does make that hard turn with Five. Um because that seems like the 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 existential limit of the what was the quote? Um, you can't help them; they have to help themselves. Victim blaming idea. It that they that's that is the limit there, and I'm glad they they realize they seem to realize that at least. Yeah, I I mean, and I do know that Saw Five apparently the the one thing, and I I will say, and this is not my original thought. Uh, New Flesh, uh, New Flesh have said this as well, so I don't want to make it seem like I'm just taking all my ideas from them. They pointed out that Saw Five is so much better directed than Saw Four, um, and it's it's a much better experience. Maybe that's why I'm kind of like not as hard on Saw Five as other people are, because I'm just like, oh, you know what? I'm I, I'm cozy with this movie. Makes me cozy. 
Um, but um, unrelated to Saw, anything Saw at all, but I think uh want to express some excitement for this. Uh, Leafs are up one to nothing. Jets and Alex Galchenyuk scored. Oh, Galch. Good on Gally, him. Chucky, whatever we're calling him. But about Saw, um, the most delightful thing about Saw 5, and there's not that many things, was when I turned it on this week and I'm like, oh, Carla Ruda. Uh, random Canadian character actors you can but always so good. and Saw. I love him. I wish he lived longer. He is one of my top five like tiny parts in Breaking Bad, aside from, you know, actual the actual legendary actors that were there. His part as the lab, uh, as the head of the lab on Breaking Bad, just, I speak English. He is so good, and he's great at playing an asshole. Absolutely. He, like, this is my other problem with Five and why I think Six is a little better, is that Carlota, like, if if he had made it a couple of a couple of rooms further, I think I would like. I think Saw Five would be my peak because I love him. He's um he he also had a a, a recurring role on Twenty Four, which is another show that I have a an unfortunate attachment to that I I can't stop loving that show despite its the politics role. aren't great, but also like what else is on? You know, yeah, I mean a yeah. lot of things, but uh, <laughs> you know what. The, if if it had been say him and Julie Benz, because I did love Julie Benz in that movie, mm-hmm. being the ones to make it to the end. Because the one thing about the character Malik, um, it is very obvious to me, um, and and I always say this: the the irony is I am a person who has never done hard drugs either. Like I've, I've smoked a lot of pot. I was a fucking English major, and I you know done a decent amount of mushrooms. But I have like I'm I'm afraid of drugs. Yeah. But, I'm from Timmins, Ontario. It's a coke town. So I will say these are people who have never been around people on drugs in their life. The 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 depiction of drug users is so off the mark. Oh my god. It's it's really true. The like the the way cuz this is a series that was going on at the same time as as um as The Wire. Like the the Wire was still was finishing up and that was the one of the early television examples where drug use was was fairly humanized like both in its like more mundane aspects and and how it can go wrong and i feel like i think this is another example of saw trying to be edgy in in its portrayal of drug users you got a guy tweaking on screen just so badly and i'm i'm watching him i don't know who this guy is uh, as an actor and i'm just like i want lee winnell back you know? Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, before we before we wrap this up, since I know what your field of peak is, what my field of peak is, I just want to ask, not in terms of what you think is like the best trap or the scariest trap, what is your favorite trap? Like what entertained you the most or what just like kept you glued to the screen? Oh, that's tough. Um, oh, give, give me a second here. I want to look at my notes and see if I see if I'm forgetting anything, because I think. I know, I know what it is for me, and mm. as brutal as it is, I just have to say, I and again, I have a hard time with the non-believable traps, but this really did have my jaw on the floor because I just couldn't believe that they went there. The, I don't even know what you call it, the rack trap, the uh, with the drunk driver really twisted apart. Uh, I know it was over the top. I know it, go- it kind of goes against my saw values of, um, you know, wanting the traps to be more realistic, but. I had ne- I had not at that point seen anything so over the top, and I was just like, "Well, they're committed to this. 
Interesting. So, you see, the rack doesn't do it for me. Something about the rack has never registered with me. And I think it's just, like, the re- the remaining shock of the pigs in the vat um, <laughs> that just, when I watch Saw 3, like, once that's happened, we're moving through to the end. Um, so, my favorite... I'm going to separate this into two things. One is my favorite death, as in, like, the most spectacular death for me, is Eric Matthews' ice blocks <laughs> hitting the head. Like, there's something... There's something to that that really just gets your blood pumping. <laughs> you know, like... we, we, we talk about the elegance of the razor of the razor trap. The inelegance of that is fucking awesome. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but in terms of like the trap itself, because Eric can't get out of it of his own accord. So yeah. uh, it's probably the shotgun carousel from six where yeah. the, these like these uh, yuppies are trying to convince their boss to save them. And there's something about that that's really, that's very entertaining to watch. Like, one of them claims she's pregnant, and then the guys are all like, no, she's not! Like, there's something... I sit right next to you! Like, Oh, there's something about that scene, especially after having seen them, like, digging through patient information to try and find disqualifying things to deny mm-hmm. them healthcare. Like, yeah. there's something very satisfying about the shotgun ser- carousel in Six. Yeah, I, I think the shotgun carousel is fantastic um it also just makes me think of how like i you don't think by the end of that you're going to be saying poor william because i mean william william is inarguably of all those people the worst one because he is the ceo of of a health insurance company like uh, you could at least argue about the other people even though they're bastards like ah they're just cogs in the machine they're they're earning their 42k a year um but william is one of the characters in Saw, one of the few characters in Saw that you really witness having a, a kind of heel face turn at the end. And he he really does everything to try to save people. And you think like, oh, good, he learned a lesson, you know? And at the end, it doesn't matter. And I know a lot of people expressed frustration with that, but like, oh, it, it didn't matter at the end. And I'm like, I like that it didn't matter at the end. I, I like subverting that expectation. Do you really think someone's going to walk away from a Saw movie just like, everything's better now? And and, and the movies seem aware of that. Like the, the support group in, in Saw 3D. Um, mm-hmm. Where, uh, like, they, they continue the kind of mythos of, like, I like my eyes were opened and I, like, it, it's this very Saw, early Saw idea that, like, you will come out on the other side a better person. And the whole, like, Lawrence's uh, purpose in the film is to be like, that's that's BS. That's not, mm-hmm. that's really not how this is going to work out for you. And I think that, that that's really the strength of the ending of Six. Also, like, I like, simil- similar to my favorite moment in Three, where Jeff does get to just go at Jigsaw with a saw. Like, mm-hmm. that that feels cathartic, even though I hate Jeff. The fact that a son whose dad died because the HMO wouldn't cover his yeah. health expenses. The fact that he's the one that gets to end William, like, there is something really satisfying there. And I don't, like, I'm not against the revenge fantasy idea, uh, uh, like, abstractly at least. Yeah. Um, I do kind of want to wonder, like, how did they get out of here? Um, like, no one ever thinks, like, the, there are three people left there. Um, it also made me think, what is the better movie that takes place in an abandoned zoo? Saw 6 or Split? 
I I have to say split because I I love splits. I like I, I know I'm, it's problematic, but I love splits. I feel like there are like th- this is a conversation that can be had among mentally ill people, which yeah. I, I know I include myself in that group. But like that mental illness is a superpower. I have no problem with that kind of metaphorization, and that's what that's what split does. And I I quite. I quite like how, especially Annie Taylor Joy in that movie, but that's a whole other thing. Um, oh yeah, I I love M Night Shyamalan movies. Like I am a firm defender of that of that man. Um, and Split is just it's an example of why as as impressive as the Saw franchise is for dealing with small budgets, mm-hmm. sometimes that there really is a benefit to a lot of experienced filmmakers working together on something because the professionalness of of Split really does set it apart yeah and i do think maybe that's why i'm looking forward to spiral because i know that saw never posits itself as a series with a lot of polish but at a certain point i think because it's like okay i've sat through seven or eight of these um you have to offer me something more and you know maybe the first couple times you think more blood more gore more extreme traps more unlikable honey-baked ham cops but um (laughs) But at a certain point, I think what I'm looking for now is a version of this with polish. And the closest we ever really came to that was the first Saw. And even then, your your real actors aren't even acting all that well. So, yeah. um, like, the, I really do think, honestly, the only thing that stops Saw 1 from being an actual good movie, and again, would be called Elevated Horror if it were released in 2019, is the acting. Um, yeah. You know? Uh, the the fantastic we hate movies they pointed out that like it should have been Michael Emerson who played Zepp to to play Adam because like again he's a real actor and he does a decent job he he's doing damaged very well as uh as Zepp which I don't know what kind of a name Zepp is I, I live in Greek town and it's it's that's weird <laughs> to even me <laughs> it's true and like as as iconic as Carrie always sawing his own foot off is. It does like acting wise, it's pure cheese. Like it's it's oh, yeah. it, it. The desperation seems forced you in a way that had, like like yeah. I I can't tell. I go back and forth. Like is he like having fun with this? Does he know it's bad, or was he really shooting for the stars? Because like everything he yells, and I'm just like, you know, you've been acting for a very long time. How are you not covering up your accent better and stuff? Like it's a it's a sad state for poor Carrie always. But yeah. uh, I mean. It's and I think by the time he comes back in the uh, in Saw Seven, it's so hard to keep track of the names because they stop numbering them after six. Uh, by the time, so I'm just going to call it Saw Seven. By the time he comes back in Saw Seven, I do think he is a little bit more self aware and he's really chewing scenery. Uh, Definitely, and they, he's not even trying to pretend he doesn't have an accent. So, <laughs> all right, well. Uh, any final thoughts before we say goodbye, men? I've, I've really enjoyed talking Saw with you. Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned on Twitter after I agreed to do this with you, and it has been a, a great time, um, the last time that I watched the series was back in 2017, and I told myself I would never watch it again. I think I will say the same thing again now. I, I don't know that I can, I can even, I can recommend these. If you have, like, if you're already into the Cult of Saw, welcome. We have cookies. It's a nice club, but, um... <laughs> this is a hard franchise to deal with. It's a hard franchise to get into if you're not already into it. And I'm just, 
I, I'm I'm glad I got to sit down and chat with you about it, but I don't know that I could do it again. I think this yeah. is my I think beyond Spiral, which I am excited for. I think this is the end of my uh, my experience with Saw. I think you're more than justified in that. Uh, and uh, if if our listeners wanted to follow you on social media, or I don't know if anything you that uh, you've written is out there, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to get stuff published right now, but at the moment, just find me on Twitter at Mintaford, M-Y-N-T-A-F-O-R-D, uh, a nickname that a friend gave me because they felt mint wasn't long enough, so it became Mintaford. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I, I I really love having a one-syllable name because people can't make a nickname out of it. <laughs> so as for me, I've been your host, Bree Rohde. You can find me on Twitter at Reganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E. Our theme music is Homo Logo by Jack Dump, and you can find them on bandcamp.com slash jackdump. Our show logo is made by Jared Daly. He's my husband. New episodes are due out every two weeks. You do not want to miss them. You can check out our back catalog, which contains episodes on Malcolm in the Middle, King of the Hill, So You Can Dance, The Office, and more. We've also got stuff coming up from the Mighty Ducks, Scream, Canadian indie music, and more. Take it easy, and remember, if you're past your peak, rolling downhill is also very fun. I had literally driven myself to suicide, and I had failed. My body had not been strong enough to repel cancer cells, yet I had lived through a plunge off a cliff. 